Welcome to River of Life's Wednesday Night Podcast with Derek Gray. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to visit River of Life Church this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Visit rolcrawfordville.com for service times and directions. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Now, let's join Derek as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, good evening, everybody. We can go ahead and uh, find our places, and we will get uh, started. All righty, if you got your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 tonight, um, uh, again, starting in, verses, in verse 29, which is where we left off last week, and we'll be going through verses 32. The title of our lesson is From Him, Through Him, and to him. Now, last week we very slowly waded into uh, Romans 8.29. And we spent most of our time on two words, okay? The first word that we looked at was the word for new. The verse starts out like this, for those whom he foreknew. And what we learned about that is it's not just saying that God knew facts about you. Of, of course, God knows how many hairs there are on your head. He knows how uh, the exact amount of days, hours, and seconds you're going to live on this earth. God knows all of that, but that's not what it was talking about. He foreknew you in the sense that He set His love on you, that He chose you. He foreknew you in the same way that He knew Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. See, he's not saying, Jeremiah, I knew how long you were going to live, or Jeremiah, I knew what your shoe size was going to be. No. No, he's saying, I consecrated you. I said that word means to be set apart. I appointed you. I ordained you. I, I predetermined, if you will, what you were going to be, in this case, a prophet to the nation. So that's what he meant when he says foreknew. Now, we may say, well, why did God do this? Well, 2 Timothy 1.9, we, we went to this verse several times, tells us that two things. Number one, it's not according to our works. He doesn't choose or ordain us or appoint us or select us because of any desire we might have at some point or any thought we might have or any uh, intention we might have or any act we might perform. No. No, it tells us clearly why He did it according to His own purpose and grace. Now, we walked a little further. It says, those He foreknew, He also predestined. Okay, now, we are going to leave this subject tonight of predestined. And we're going to move on in the next couple of weeks, and we're going to move on toward the love of God. But we're not done. We'll actually come back to this subject with Paul in Romans chapter 9. So before we leave the subject tonight, I need to bring up a couple of things. I understand when we talk about predestination that there are going to be questions, right? And you got to understand that I've only got 45 minutes, okay? We could literally be here for hours talking about this subject. But the good thing is, is this is a series, right? Um, we're going to be here. I'm going to be here every Wednesday night until Pastor Henry fires me, tells me not to come back. I want to just keep showing up every Wednesday night, and we're going to keep marching right on through through Romans. So I've got plenty of time to answer these questions, and I will. 
I know there are questions. For example, one of the first questions everybody says was, what about free will? Don't I have free will? Absolutely you do. There's no doubt about that. We will answer those questions. What about if God is choosing, then what's the responsibility of man? What do I have to do? Okay. You see, the Bible, and I want to make sure this is clear. And again, we're going to come back in a few weeks and answer a lot of these questions. But before I leave the subject, I want to, be, I want to make something extremely clear. If you go to the Bible, there is a perfect balance in the Bible between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. It's a perfect balance. And you cannot get these out of balance. This is all over the Bible, by the way. Let me give you a few examples before we leave. Let me go back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Joab, which is David's right-hand man, he says this, Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God, and the Lord will do what is good in His sight. You see the both of those in balance? Joab says at the end of the day, God is going to do what he sees best. But I, that doesn't mean I can abdicate my responsibility. I'm going to fight. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be brave. But in the end, God is sovereign and he'll do what he sees fit. Does everybody see that? You move forward into the book of Acts. Paul is on a ship. There's a big storm comes up and it's bad. And they're throwing things off the ship and they're getting ready to throw people off the ship and it's a mess. And Paul has a dream or a vision and it says, he said this, Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So God comes to, 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 to through an angel, he comes to, to Paul and says, Don't worry about it, you're safe. Not only are you going to survive, but everybody on the ship is going to survive. It's a done deal. Now, what do you think Paul did? Did Paul walk out there in front of those people and says, "Don't y'all just sit down, don't worry about it, it's all done, don't matter what you do? It's not what he said at all. Acts 27, 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, which was it? You see, you never see Paul. Paul understands God is in control. God is completely sovereign. But at the same time, he never steps back and says, don't do anything. No, not at all. We have a responsibility to walk in, in the ways of the Lord. Let me give you another one. This is the, the, the go-to verse here. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Paul says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, that is your responsibility. You pray, you battle, you fight, you press. Everybody with me? Now watch what he says. Because it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. You see what Paul says? Paul says, you're working, you're fighting, you're battling, you're praying, you're pressing. And God is inside of you creating the desire to do that and the ability to do that. That's the responsibility of man, and that's the sovereignty of God. Always in the Bible are they in, in perfect balance with one another. I'll give you one more. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. I worked harder than any of them. I traveled more miles. I preached more sermons. I, I, I endured more abuse. And Paul says, but it wasn't me, it was the grace of God that's inside of me. 
Again, responsibility of man, the grace and purposes and sovereignty of God. They're always in perfect balance. See, what you cannot do is get them out of balance. If, if you elevate man and his will and his choices and his freedom up here, you got God's not sovereign anymore. But at the same time, if you elevate God all the way up here, then we would just be robots. Right? The Bible never teaches that. never teaches that at all. It teaches them both. And you say, how can they both be? I have no idea. Welcome to the club. I have no idea how he does it. I just know he's God. And I know my Bible teaches it, and I believe it. I, I don't have to understand. The Bible says I walk by faith. Not by what I can see and understand sometimes with my mind. I walk by faith. So I'm not, not going to, you know, yes, we're going to tackle some subjects sometimes that are above us. But at the same time, I, I'm going to give him the glory. I want to see him for who he really is. I don't want to shortchange him at the expense of, of man's choices. Now, let's move on. Why did God choose and predestine? Well, Romans 8.29 answers this question. Now, last week we just touched on this. Tonight we're going to spend more time because this is really important. He said this, For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that, this is the purpose of why He did it, that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, we're going to stop right here. And I want you to hold on to that. What he just said, that, that phrase, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We're going to go on a truth journey here for just a minute, and I'm going to circle back, and I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, and I'm going to show you why that is so important, okay? But first, we're going to focus on a, on a truth. I don't, I don't know how Christians are in Latin America or the Middle East or in Europe or in Asia, I'm not really familiar with those, uh, those Christians. But what I do know is American Christians. Because I happen to be one of them, as, as so are you, right? And as American Christians, we tend to be very secularly minded. Okay, now let me explain what I mean by that. When I say we are secularly minded, I don't mean that we don't believe in God. I don't mean that we don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. That's not what I mean. What I mean is we tend to be very man-centered in our thinking. Okay, let me say that again. We tend to be very man-centered in our thinking. And a, and a man-centered mindset will often come in conflict with a biblical mindset. All right? And the reason is because a, a man-centered mindset and a biblical mindset have radically different starting points. So let me explain what I mean by that. The secular mindset, what we'll call the natural mindset, starts with the assumption that man has basic rights. Are you with me? That we just have basic rights. It then interprets, when we have situations come into our life, we tend to interpret those situations through this lens of our rights, and we measure things through that. Does that make sense? Let me, I'll put it this way. Something comes into our life, and it's, if it doesn't line up with our rights, then it's bad. If it does line up with our rights, then we will label it as good. Now, 
I figured this week, you know, I'm talking about predestination. I might as well just jump off the cliff here. So I'm going to do that here in just a second, right? So the problem is with a man-centered mindset, it's all about our rights, okay? And it affects how we view the world, and unfortunately, it can affect how we read and interpret Scripture. So let me give you one here. 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13, Paul says this, I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. You know what I mean now by jumping off a cliff, right? I just jump right into it. Paul says, for it was Adam who was created first and then Eve. Now, I picked this for a reason because it's controversial. I picked it because even as I... There's some people right now, this pushes against you. You don't like it. You just don't like it. See, if you come to this scripture with a man-centered viewpoint, with a viewpoint that it's all about my rights, that will offend you. Because you will come in and say, well, who... What does that even mean? I've got, as a woman, I've got just as much right to teach as a man does. I'm just as good a communicator. I study just as much. I understand just as much. That makes no sense to me. And you will look at that scripture and you will say, that's bad. Why? Because it doesn't line up with your rights. Are you with me? Now, this is what the Bible calls the natural person. The natural mind. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural person doesn't accept the things of the God. Because it's all about our rights. What's good for me? What works for me? What fits with, with my viewpoint? Okay? Now, here's the problem. This is the mindset we're all born with. Okay? Every single one of us come into this world and it's all about who? It's all about me. We're born with that. And unfortunately... This man-centered mindset, even after we become Christians, okay, there's still vestiges of what the Bible calls the flesh. There's still vestiges of that mindset that, that's there. And what happens is our culture reinforces that man-centered mindset every second of every hour of every day of every week of every month. You turn on the news. I don't care if you're watching CNN or Fox. They're not giving you the news from a God-centered mindset. They're giving you the news from a man-centered mindset. They're reinforcing that every single day. It's about your rights and about your values and about your way of thinking. In fact, it is so much a part of us that I don't even think half the time we even know it's there. We don't even, we don't even recognize it until it collides with another mindset, which is the Bible. And all of a sudden, one day, we're staring something in the face that doesn't fit our mindset at all. You see, in the Bible, we find another mindset called a biblical mindset. In this mindset, instead of thinking that man is the center of the universe, that man is the ultimate reality, this mindset starts at a completely different place. God is the center of the universe. God is the ultimate reality. God has rights. It's not about my rights. The Bible, it's all about God's rights. Now think of it that way. It, the biblical mindset then looks at Scripture or looks at situations and interprets it not in lieu of man's rights, but it measures it by God's rights. So again, something is bad if it doesn't line up with God's rights. Something is good if it lines up with God and His rights. So let's go back to our scripture. 1 Timothy 2, 
I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. See, a God-centered, a, God mind, a God-centered mindset comes in and reads that and says, you know what, I don't really like that. I certainly don't understand it. But that's God's right to determine who teaches in His church and who doesn't. It's God's right to, in the created order to create in the order that He wanted to. I may not like it, but I'm going to accept it because it's God's right to determine that. Do y'all see the difference? That's a huge, huge difference. See, if we, if we come to something with a God-centered mindset, then all of a sudden, before it was bad, now, yeah, that's good. I don't, again, I may not understand it, but I believe it's God's right to do things the way that He wants to do it because He knows what's best. You see, the fact is, if you come to the world, you come to situations, you come to Scripture or anything, and you start with man rather than beginning with God, you're going to come to a radically different conclusion. And you possibly interpret things very differently. Let me give you another example. If I ask you tonight, what was the purpose of the cross? Why did Jesus come to die? Now, I won't go around and ask you, but my guess would be that 99.9% .9 of us would say, what? Save sinners, to die for my sins, to bear my sins. By the way, that is true. But did you know that's not the primary reason that he came? Romans 3, 25 to 26 says this, Whom, talking about Jesus, God put forward as a payment by his blood to be received by faith. This was, he's talking about the cross and Jesus dying on the cross. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. This was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, the, the basic issue at the cross wasn't our sin. That obviously was an issue. But primarily and foremost, it was all about God being shown to be righteous. God being shown to be just. His name had to be vindicated. By the way, let me explain what was going on there. All the way back in Genesis, God told Adam, He said, if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. And Adam ate that fruit, and he did eventually die, right? But not right then. When, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he had her husband Uriah killed, David should have, he should have been dead right then. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? He should have died right then, but he didn't. In fact, if you and I received what we had coming to us, if we received justice, we would drop dead the moment we committed our first sin, but we don't. We walk around like, well, where's this judge everybody talks about? I've been sinning and nothing's happening. And seeing God's name is being dragged through the mud. God said no. He sent Jesus to the cross to pay for Adam's sin. He sent Jesus to the cross to pay for David's sin. He sent Jesus to the cross to pay for my sin and to vindicate His name. He had to be seen as a sin had to be punished or else He would not be a just judge. So before the cross was for me and you, the cross was first for Him, for His name. Now, with that in mind, let's come back to Romans 8.29 and I want to make a point. Let's read it again. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that, for this purpose, 
that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and, of course, sisters. Now here we see this God-first mentality again, this biblical mindset. The foundational reason that God chose to predestinate wasn't for us. It was for His Son. It was for Jesus. You see, God, in His eternal plan and purpose, wanted to create a family of siblings and brothers and sisters who would see Jesus for in His greatness and worship Him and honor Him. This was so important to Him that He didn't leave anything to chance. He went ahead and predetermined a preset group of people that He was going to make sure that they were family members for His Son. Now, watch what that said. Let's go back to that verse. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay? In other words, He predestines that we will be like Him. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Have you ever asked why? Have you ever asked the question why it's so important that we have to be like Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we have to be like Him? I want to read you a scripture, Colossians 1.18. It says, And He, talking about Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Now that word preeminent means the greatest. It means superior to all others. It means surpassing all others. So let's ask the question again. Why is it that it's so important to God to create brothers and sisters of Jesus that are like Him. Here's why. It's all about preparing us to see and savor His glory. You see, the fact is, if we remained unchanged with our minds the way they are, we could never see Jesus for who He really is. We could never appreciate Him for who He really is. Now, you guys know that I like examples, right? And I come up with some really dumb ones. So I've got one here for you today. If you've ever watched golf on TV, it just looks like the easiest thing in the world, doesn't it? Those, those men and women, they just swing so easy. And they hit that ball and it just goes so far. And it seems to go so straight. And they make those putts and it just looks so simple. And you sit there and you see how much money they're paying them. And you're like, this is crazy. That anybody could do that, right? And then one day, you get a set of clubs and you go out to the driving range or you go out to the course. And it takes you about five minutes to realize, holy cow, that ain't easy at all. Right? I mean, you're hitting balls left and right. You hit the guy next to you on the, on the range. You're having to apologize for that, right? You, you've already thrown one club, broken another one. And you realize, man, that wasn't easy at all. But see, you didn't realize that until you became like them. You couldn't appreciate how good they were, how talented they were, how great at what they do until you became a golfer. Let me tell you, folks, it's the exact same thing. We can never appreciate Jesus until we become like Him. We can never appreciate the beauty of His holiness until we become holy. We can never appreciate His glory without being glorified. See, we've got to be like Him in order to see Him as preeminent, 
as great and surpassing all others, if we're going to worship Him and honor Him and glorify Him and enjoy Him, the only way we can really do that is to be like Him. Let's go back to our verse. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Why did He predestinate? Why did He choose? He did it for His Son. You see, without those final words in verse 29, if you just took those words off, we might look at that and say, well, look at me. Man, he chose me. He, he it must be something about me. Man, it wasn't about you at all. It was about his son. And, and, and without those words, we could just fall right into that man-centered view of sanctification. The fact is, it's not about us. It's always been about Jesus. You, you want to learn something here tonight about the Bible. It's always been about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. 1 Peter 1.20, He was foreknown, talking about Christ. You can read different translations. It says He was ordained, He was chosen, He was appointed. When? Before the foundation of the world. You see, this idea that, that God created the earth and He created Adam and Eve and, and they messed it up and God is like, oh, what do we do now? And, and the, Trinity has, the Trinity has to huddle up and come up with a plan. How, how are we going to make this thing right? Well, son, you're going to have to go... No, no, no. It was always about the Son. He was appointed to die on that cross before anything was ever even created. It's always going to be about Him. Revelation 13, 8, All who dwell on the earth will worship Him, talking about the beast, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, say it with me, slain from the foundation of the world. It's always about Him. It's where I get my title tonight. Romans eleven thirty six. 36, Paul says this, From Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. All things are about Him. The cross it primarily was about Him. Predestination is all about Him. It's about creating a family for Him. It's always been about Jesus. Now listen, we need to test ourselves. For example, do I want to be wise so that people will pat me on the back and tell me, man, what a great Christian you are, man, you got so much wisdom? Or do I want to be wise so I can appreciate the one that is preeminently wise. Do, do, do I want to be holy so people can admire me and say, oh, well, what a guy. Man, he is, he's a really holy guy, right? Is that what I'm looking for out of this? Or do I want to be holy so that I can be set free from sin to see him as he really is? Do I want to be loving once again so people can pat me on the back and say, well, she's really loving or he's really loving. Or do I want to be loving so that people can see Jesus through me? Are we walking through this life with a man-centered Christianity? A man-centered mindset? Or are we going through this thing, even though we don't understand it all, may not agree with it all, may not appreciate it all, but I'm coming after God. And if God says it, I believe it. Are we coming through life with a God-centered... Now, let me, let me tell you this now, folks. Listen, God loves you. God cares about you. Those are all true. But it has never been primarily about your welfare or your comfort or, or really primarily even about getting you to heaven. It's always been about Jesus. Now, thank God 
we get to be a part of that. But it's always been about glorifying the Son. That's what it's always been about. So in order to do that, the Bible says He predestines a people to be like Him so that they can appreciate His preeminence. So that he, I mean, can you imagine the, the love that the Father has for the Son? Man, I just, I, I want people to see my Son. I want people to appreciate my Son for who He is. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create some brothers and sisters, and I'm going to make them like Him so that they can appreciate how awesome He is, and how great He is, and how holy He is, and how beautiful He is. Now, before God can practically do that, before He can actually conform us to the image of Jesus, he's got a couple of things he needs to do. Let's read the entirety of verse... Actually, I think this should be th verse... Yeah, it is verse 30. It says this, And those whom he predestined, he called. Now, we saw a few weeks ago that this isn't some general call that goes out to the masses. This is a call that goes out to the one whose destiny has been determined. Acts 13, 48 says this, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Goes on, those who he predestined, he called. The ones he called, he justified. Now listen, every single one of us have sinned and fall miserably short of the glory of God. That's Romans uh, 3.23. We are dead, spiritually dead in our sins. And the Bible says we are children of wrath. That means we are under the wrath of God. That's Ephesians chapter 2. I'm an enemy of God. I'm a sinner. Can God simply drop the charges against me? Can God say, you know what, Derek? I, come on in, man. It's okay. Let's just sweep all this under the rug. No. No, because if he did, he would not be a just judge. He would not be a righteous judge. So he cannot do that. In order to fulfill his purpose for me, God must somehow satisfy his own justice. He must appease his own wrath. And the way he did that was to send his son to die on the cross for me. Romans 3.26 puts it this way. We saw it earlier. This was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Listen, to be justified means to be made right with God. How am I made right with God? By putting my faith in Jesus. It's as simple as that. That's how I'm made right with God. The ones he predestined, he called. The ones he called, he justified. And the ones he justified, he glorified. Romans eight seventeen says this, If we are children, then heirs... Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him for the first time as He really is. Now, here's the thing. That's all talking about the future. But listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians three eighteen. He says the change has already started. The glorification has already started. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into His likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is a Spirit. Right now, in this life, the process has already begun. It's already begun. 
God is, is allowing things into my life, sometimes uncomfortable things, sometimes painful things, sometimes tragic things, sometimes just boring things and frustrating things. But he's got a purpose in every one of them, and that is to begin to change me into the likeness of his son. You see, there you have Romans 8.30, the unbroken chain of salvation, foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Now, Paul gets to the end of that. And by the way, if you think that's deep, it is. If you think that's incredible, it is. And Paul reaches the end of that, and he almost seems to be speechless. He makes this statement in Romans 8.31, what do you say to those things that I just said? How, how do you sum all that up? He, he's got to say something. And this is what he says. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, if God chose me and called me and justified me, and is going to glorify me, if God did all that for me, if God didn't spare His own Son, who can be against me? That's a rhetorical question, by the way, and it means the answer to that is nobody. You see, there is no condemnation. We started this chapter several weeks ago, and we started right out of the gate, didn't we? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, God is entirely for me. He's not against me at all. Which means, by the way, that that cancer is not a judgment. That lost job is not the wrath of God. That, that broken down car is, is not him, his displeasure with you. Your marital strife, your wayward children, these are not signs of the, of the wrath or the judgment of God. God is in them. God is purposing things through them, but it's not his judgment. He's not against you. He's for you. Can you, can you get what he's saying? Go back to Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If he's for me 100%, that means that everything that is coming into my life is for my good. None of it's for my bad. Not one single solitary thing. It is all for my good. It is all conforming me to Christ. God is for us, not against us. All things are meant for our good. That is an incredible thing to know and thing to believe. In fact, listen to how Paul, and we'll close here, listen to how Paul sums it up. Last verse tonight, Romans 8, 31. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. You see, what Paul says is God has already done the hardest thing. When you were his enemy, when you were under his wrath, when you didn't want anything to do with him, with him, he gave his own precious child. And if you're a parent here, God, listen, your love for your child is imperfect. And yet you do anything for him. Your love for your child is imperfect, and you couldn't imagine sacrificing them for a bunch of, of thankless people, could you? And see, God's love is perfect for His Son. You don't think He felt pain? You, you don't think He felt loss? 
You don't think He felt the things that we feel? And yet, God did not withhold His most precious gift from us. And listen, if He didn't do that, then He'll certainly not withhold any good thing. I close with a a quote from a man by the name of John Flavel. He was a Puritan uh, in the 17th century. This is what he said. How is it imaginable that God should withhold after this anything from His people? How shall He not clothe them, feed them, protect them, and deliver them? Surely if He would not spare His own Son one stroke, one tear, one groan, one sigh, one circumstance of misery, it can never be imagined that He should ever after this, deny or withhold from His people, for whose sakes all this was suffered, any mercy, any comfort, any privilege, spiritual or temporal, which is good for them. Man, I love that. I told a story a few weeks ago, and I feel compelled to tell it again now. When I was a, uh, when I was a kid... Um, and I'll just bring this up real quickly. When I was a kid, I, I, I uh, turned 16. I wanted a car. Y'all remember the story about the car, right? Um, and I wanted a uh, Jeep because a friend of mine had a Jeep, and I wanted a Jeep. It was so cool. And uh, my dad said no. And I said, why not? He said, because it'll roll over and kill you. And I said, okay. So I found a 69 Camaro with a, with a 289 in it. And, it could, and I wanted that car, and my dad said no. And I said, why not? He said, because it goes too fast, it'll kill you. And so I ended up with this little six-cylinder thing that, that putted down the road, right? See, here's the thing. God, just the way my dad, who is imperfect, an imperfect dad knew what was good for me when I didn't know what was good for myself. God is the exact same way. See, giving you good things don't mean giving you whatever you want. It's not what it means at all. It means giving you what is best for you, giving you what is good for you, giving you, in the end, what is going to conform you to the image of His Son. And that is an amazing thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for Your Word. What an incredible, awe-inspiring Word it is, God. I just, I just, I just can't say thank You enough for leaving us this letter. What an incredible thing. It just tells us about you and who you are. And every time I read it, my faith just goes higher and higher and higher because the God I serve is just more incredible and more incredible and more incredible. Father, tonight I believe there are people here that are going through things. I believe there are. there's no way in a crowd this big, Lord, that there's not someone who's suffering. There's not someone who's in pain. There's not someone who's going through a tragedy or a frustration or whatever case may be. God, help them tonight, Holy Spirit. Go beyond my words and just cement in their heart that you are a God that loves them and you are a God that gave your son for them and you are certainly a God that is working all things together. You are in complete control. God, help them see that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to the River of Life podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at 
We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions. Thank you.